you know, I've really tried to build a great team around me and open me up to the right ideas. I think that one thing that my mentors have always taught me is that if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I've really enjoyed over the past 12 months in particular learning from my team, them telling me what's happening on the ground and the things that we need to be prepared for moving forward. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey, it's Sam here from Elite Agent. Today on the podcast, we are going to be doing a special episode of the Leadership Diaries with Bressick Whitney CEO, Thomas McLean. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, it's been a while since I've seen you actually, and I was trying to count back and it must have been like Transform 2020 or something like that, that we last had a chat and you gave us such a cracking session. And so much has changed for you, starting with the new role at Brassic Whitney. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've been here now for coming up to two and a half years. And before that, I was working with Matt LaHood at, at the agency and at McGrath before that. So been a really good time for me in a different type of business and being able to, I guess, take us from where we've been to where we're going. We've got a great business and actually coming up to our 20-year anniversary at the start of next year. So it was the perfect time for me to join and take the best of the past and kind of lay the train tracks for where we're going to in the future. So it's been a really enjoyable period for me from a leadership perspective. Yeah, you guys market some incredibly iconic property in Sydney. Have any stood out for you over the last couple of years? I guess one thing that we tend to list more than others, which is different to what your stereotypical business might list, is warehouse conversions and warehouses. And we've sold some really, really amazing warehouse spaces. And I don't think there's probably one that stands out in particular, but some of those listings are unusual and they're pretty cool so it allows our creative team to do what they do best to and photograph and get the great videos and the design elements of these things really great so we're really lucky to sell some pretty iconic Sydney real estate to be fair. Speaking of iconic Sydney real estate like I remember years ago I went to Bressick Whitney's office and I mean it's a converted warehouse as well that is just amazing art installations and all of that sort of thing was that part of what attracted you to working there? <laughs> yeah, well, Shannon, for those that have met Shannon, he does think and look at things a little bit differently, which is amazing. I look, I think that it's probably reflective of the marketplace that we work in. I think that the inner city Sydney marketplace is full of creatives and full of people that like design. And I think that is just an extension of the people that we do business with. And did it attract me? Yes, I like the fact that we look at real estate a little bit differently because we have moved into an age where most businesses are very, very similar. The only thing that's different is the colours that are on the front door on the signboard. So I think that type of thinking, which then comes through in our aesthetic, I think that did attract me to work with Shannon. Yeah, you're such a multi 
disciplinary practitioner in the real estate industry. I mean, you're a leader, you're an agent, you're an accomplished auctioneer. Since you've moved to Bresick Whitney, what have you been spending most of your time on? Well, a big part of like leadership to me is a contact sport. So you have to balance out still remaining connected to your people and being in front of your people and being on the ground. So for me, if you look at the leadership component, that's been a big area of my focus since I've come to BW, simply for the fact that we went through a transition. You know, one of our co-founders in Ivan Bresik, he exited the business just before I arrived. So that was a really big piece that we had to manage through. So I have spent a lot of time with regards to working out and collaborating with everyone in the business in terms of where we're going. I guess the other aspect of where I've spent a lot of time still on the ground with auctioneering and people might say, and they still say to me, well, doesn't that take up a lot of your time or when do you get actually get some time to have a bit of a rest? But the auctioneering component of what I do, I think allows me to stay connected not only to our people, but also to our clients. And it means that I'm not sitting in an ivory tower pushing buttons, not understanding what everyone's going through. So I'd say that a large proportion of my time has been spent on how do we grow the business and how do we position the business through this or what has been the next phase of what the business is doing. But a lot of my time is still spent out there with the team doing auctions. We'll get on to the leadership aspects in a second, but I'm keen to know from the perspective of the team because we've seen a bit of a shift in the market this year in 2022 from the craziness of 2021. I mean, everyone's sort of calling 21 a bit of an outlier now and things have shifted back to being perhaps a little bit more normal while everyone kind of waits to see what happens with interest rates. How have you been finding it on the ground? Oh, well, I think that probably it was a four-month period. We're probably at the back end of that where it was tough. And I guess the analogy that I can sort of give, and I've had the benefit of working across most major markets in Australia, is the Sydney marketplace in particular is very agile. It moves very quickly. What I mean by that is it can move down very quickly and it can move up very quickly. Whereas a lot of the other major markets in Australia take a lot longer to adjust whether or not that's on an upswing or whether or not it's on a downswing. So it had been difficult because there was a significant drop off. And in some of the most salubrious areas of the country, you did see fairly rapid changes in price. And so through the middle of the year and through the start of spring, you know, we found it difficult. But in saying that, I think that that allowed us the opportunity to work on the business rather than in the business, not only for us from a leadership point of view, but even for our agents. And I think some of those adjustments that we made through that period with how we approached the way we were doing business have worked because November is probably going to be the best month that we've had all year. And it does feel like we're coming into a period between now and Christmas where it's probably going to be the most successful, the most enjoyable selling period that we've had all year which hopefully that means there's, <laughs> there's some green shoots there and it means that we're probably at the end of this interest rate cycle and people are now feeling a little bit more normalised. But the it has been difficult for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Moving into 2023, what do you think the number one skill for an agent should be or what would be the number one thing that people should work on? I think the ability, like it's so funny, everyone always talks about time management, how do they get more out of their day and how do they get more out of their week and they're talking about efficiencies. But a lot of the time, given that real estate agents have 
become a lot more high performing over the past decade. You know, I think the average amount of transactions that an agent does has significantly grown over the past decade. It actually means that you've got more on your plate. You've got more stress on your shoulders, more responsibility with more clients. I really do think that energy management is next year going to be really important. And I think that this year in particular in our industry, we've seen you know a lot more people struggle with regards to things like anxiety, struggle with potential bouts of depression and so forth. And unless you've got a plan in place to how to deal with that, I think that it's going to be very difficult next year because we're going to move into a more normalized market, but that means that it sometimes can be more frustrating for an agent because it means that a deal might be right there, but it doesn't come off. Whereas when the market's booming, it's like all going one way or when the market's going down, you kind of, it's pretty clear cut when something's going to happen or not happen. When a market's normalized, you need to have a lot more grit. So I think energy management is going to be a super big thing. And, um, you know, I really hope people do invest in their life. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because we've really come off a bit of a roller coaster, I think. You know, the size of that one up at Movie World with 2020 and everyone being so uncertain to 21 and things going crazy. I think there's probably a lot of people that, you know, won't really understand normal until it's, things have evened out for quite some time. Yeah, I do sometimes say I don't like it when people say, oh, these newer people, they're not going to know what hits them when it happens. but. I actually think that's everyone. I think even a lot of very, very experienced people got swept up in just how good that 2021 blip was. And I think it's a bit of a <laughs> roller coaster analogy, like a dream where we get the giant drop. It's a bit of a come down. A lot of people have found it, I think, very difficult to realign themselves. Yeah, it will be, I guess, you know, that'll be interesting. Let's hope everyone has a nice little re-leveling experience around the Christmas area and, you know, we can all come back to 2023 all refreshed and renewed. But before we go and get refreshed and renewed, I did promise at the beginning of this episode that we were going to do the Leadership Diaries with you. And at some point, you know, like Tim Ferriss, I am going to write a book out of these. It's a set of questions that I ask leaders in the industry to help up and coming and aspiring leaders, you know, with some great advice. And I know you haven't seen these questions, but you're willing to give it a crack. Always. Can't wait for the book to come out. Amazing. Maybe 2023 will be my year. I'll get a bit more time to write it. But anyway, okay, let's go. So first question is, what was your first job and what did it teach you? Well, my first job, my first job was working at a retail clothing store, a surf shop, and that taught me about efficiency and hard work. I worked in the back. I didn't work in the front. I worked in the back. So I had to make sure that the stock was making its way out into the floor and it meant that I worked first thing in the morning or late at night, but it taught me efficiency. It also taught me, though, that there are pathways for you that if you ask the right questions of people that you're working for, and if you make it clear that you have ambitions to grow, that they will support you. And I went from the back to the front, but that was only for three months until I found real estate. <laughs> well, are you a surfer? Uh, more of a skateboarder than a surfer, but yeah, I guess you'd say I surf. I think there's some synergy there for sure anyway. Yeah, sure. Okay. Speaking of energy management, which we just talked about, what does the first hour of your day look like and how does it go after that? Like, are you a a 5am clubber or do you have a particular morning routine? I did a presentation actually recently for Leanne Pilkington and her team where the title was The Myth of the 5am Club. I'm not a a 5am person and I don't think that 
just because you don't get up at 5am doesn't mean that you don't have the right set of rituals to be successful. I don't get up at 5. I need a good eight hours sleep at night. I'm one of those people. My good friend, Matt LaHood, I don't think he needs eight hours. He only like needs four hours and he's good to go. But I need eight hours. And my morning ritual is basically getting up, being able to clear my head, have thinking time, which I guess is meditation. I think that a lot of the time, especially when you become really busy, you get into a point where you don't really have time to think things through. So I use that time to look at what I've got coming up in that day. What am I going to do to get the best out of my day? I then need a structure to get ready every single morning. That could be from collecting my shirts to putting on my suit to brushing my teeth, all those things. I have a clear structure of how I get ready each morning. You know, John McGrath used to say structure sets you free, and I actually really do believe that. So that's how my day starts. It's on at 5 a.m., probably around, I'd say, 6, thereabouts. I tend to like exercising at the end of the day rather than the start of the day as well, which I know is a little bit unusual but I think it helps me wind down, which is the opposite of what a lot of other people think. And that was the whole premise of that presentation I did with Leanne, which was you've got to find what works for you, your authentic self. Just because you get up at 5 a.m. doesn't instantly mean you're going to be successful. It could be the start, but it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success. You've got to find what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of manage energy, not time, and doing the creative things when I feel, because different people have different biorhythms, right? Like, you know, I'm a morning person, but I know plenty of people who don't like doing their most creative things in the morning. They like doing them in the evening. Yeah. A lot of agents, you just mentioned the ritual of, you know, like having things done in a certain order. You know, over the years, a lot of people have actually said to me that that helps them get into game mode, I guess. Is it the same for you? Yeah, 100%. And it's almost like even having it a pseudo uniform, you might say, in terms of what you wear each day. And I think that a lot of that actually is almost like a line that you're stepping over that helps you set up the right mindset to be able to approach things that we do. I think in our industry, like we get to experience the best of humanity and sometimes we have to experience the worst of people. And I really do think that the way you set yourself up allows you then to approach those things correctly. I'm a big believer in having your habits and being habitual around those sorts of things. It does help me. But there are others as well that I know that organized chaos (laughs) (laughs) and they do really well and that works for them. So I think that's, you know, what I've learned over the years is that different people have different things that get them going. That's what makes them great as individuals. Yeah, great advice. I know you've got a few good answers to this question, but can you name someone that has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader and what was their most valuable lesson? Oh, I've been very, very, very lucky. I think that I wouldn't be in the position I am today if I didn't have the mentors that I've had. I've had some really great mentors. My cousin, Kerry, was probably my first mentor. She owns a successful real estate business up on the Sunshine Coast in Maroochydore. And she taught me the, the value of hard work and effort. And then post that, you know, the time that I'd spent with the likes of John McGrath and and Matt LaHood, that really did set me up on my leadership journey. And I really thank Matt and John for giving me the opportunity to be a leader. I don't think enough people give younger people that have ambitions of being a leader opportunities in this day and age. It's not something that's done. But I guess if I look at two of the probably pivotal people that have helped me in John and Matt, Matt taught me that the agent is the customer. 
and you'll hear him speak about that consistently, where he sees agents as being his client. He also taught me the value of empowering people rather than creating a dictatorship and allowing people to feel safe and empowered in their environment rather than what a lot of businesses are, which is suppressive and dictating sort of how things are going to roll. And John taught me the power of vision and how you can use language to get people to buy into that vision. To this day, John's the best when it comes to speaking that I have seen and experienced. And a massive thing actually is, I don't think I've shared this on a podcast before, but a big lesson that I had, Sam, once was we were fighting the right to use price guides in Queensland when I was looking after McGrath in Queensland. And John had been given an opportunity to go and speak at Parliament with relation to this. And he was flying up on the first flight, as John does. And I picked him up from Brisbane Airport. I was expecting just to drive him straight to Parliament House and we'd give him the opportunity to speak. He rocked up, got in the car, and he pulled out a note pad and it had notes all over it. And he said, all right, can we go to a cafe and role play what I'm going to say? That was the person that I felt was the best at speaking that I'd seen, the best at salesmanship that I'd seen. And he was still wanting to role play. He was still wanting to improve. He still wanted feedback from someone like me at the time, which I was like, why do you want feedback from me? So I think that taught me a lot too with regards to always being inquisitive, always having curiosity on how you can improve as a leader. So I think there are a few key things there. It's interesting what you say about John too. I still think back to, you know, when he won the Australasian Auctioneering Championships. I think the video is on YouTube. Anyone can go watch it. But he's just word perfect. Like I don't think I've ever, you know, if I was an auctioneer, I'd be. That's an interesting thing to look at. And then back when I first started calling auctions, we had to find these on VHS tapes because there wasn't on YouTube of John Paul's <laughs> 1999 Australasian performance. And back there, the Australasians were only every two years. And if you actually watch his 1997 performance, in comparison to 1999, it's horrible. Yeah. But went away to the drawing board and worked and worked and worked. And people think that the likes of John and Matt and all these other great leaders in our industry in Australia, they think that they were just born that way. It's just simply not the case. They have worked at work. They're trying to master their craft, go back to the drawing board, figure out the power of language. How can I improve that? To the point where that 1999 Australasian auctioneering performance, there are auctioneers today that are using lines that would not even have any clue that they're lines from that performance. So um, I think there's a lot to learn from that. We'll link it in the show notes for everyone because I'm sure we've piqued some curiosity there too. So that's the past. Who are you learning from right now? For me, you know, I've really tried to build a great team around me and open me up to the right ideas. I think that one thing that my mentors have always taught me is that if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I've really enjoyed over the past 12 months in particular learning from my team and actually them telling me what's happening on the ground and the things that we need to be prepared for moving forward. But outside of that, I still connect regularly with all of the people that have taught me in the past, which, you know, I know a lot of people might think that that's a bit weird. Your former bosses, so to say, you still connect with them, but in a lot of parts still in competition 
with some of my former mentors, but it doesn't mean that I can't still bounce ideas around and so forth. Shannon's a massive help for me now with relation to helping me bend my thinking and be a little bit more flexible in my approach to certain things. I think that's been really helpful for me. And then you've got your mentors and coaches that don't know that they're your mentor and coaches. I love listening to Robin Sharma. I love listening to his podcasts. I love listening to to a lot of the Tim Ferriss stuff that comes out, Ryan Holiday. I love listening to all those sorts of things. You know, that's to me a big focus is ensuring that I'm still developing and listening and learning to things that help me challenge my way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think the older I get, the less I know I know. (laughs) So, you know, I think the older I get, I get the more time I actually spend learning new stuff. It's just weird that way. Yeah, it's like a rabbit warren, isn't it? You don't think, oh, my God, then I didn't know about that. I need to invest some time. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, what is your favourite question to ask someone in a job interview and what does it tell you about the person? (laughs) Well, I have a philosophy that job interviews are the meeting of two lies where the person you're interviewing tells you everything that they're good at, which sometimes might not be the case, and the person doing the interviewing tells you how good their organisation is without talking about the things that need to be improved. Otherwise, you wouldn't be looking to hire someone to come in and improve those things. So I think that when you look at it from that perspective, it then sets you up with actually talking about specific examples of what challenges people have worked through before and what they found fulfilling about what they did and what they felt, you know, they needed support in. So I would always ask someone, tell me about a period of your life, your professional life, that was extremely challenging and how did you work through it? And what I'm hoping to get from there is vulnerability from that person because if they show vulnerability with the experience or the challenge that they went through, it to me shows they're coachable and it shows that I know for me as a leader, I like people being able to speak their truth to me without fear of me judging them on what they've said to me. And so I think that that's a really good opportunity to see whether or not someone is willing to come forth with actually talking through the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Because if someone tells you their only weakness is kryptonite, you do literally know they're lying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. What is the best way, do you think, for leaders to help someone new to the business understand the culture of the business? For me, when you're a leader of business, there's the misconception that you are the person that is in control of the culture. Everyone to me in, a, in an organization has good culture because there is bad culture too. An organization has good culture. Everyone takes on the responsibility for that culture. And I think empowering a person that comes into the business with that information allows them to look at it differently. Like I did meet someone this morning that's looking to come onto our business. And I said to them, I said, when you come onto the business, you are now one of the people that actually can positively contribute to what we're doing or negatively contribute. And that decision's yours. At BW, we lean on our values a lot. It's something that we talk about a lot. So I guess for people that come into our business, we talk about the values, what that means conceptually, what does that look like in action? And we do give them examples of what using those values in a good way looks like. But until someone's in the culture, until they actually understand that 
They are a part of it now. They're not from the sidelines. They can positively contribute to it or negatively contribute. Until you're empowered to think that way, you don't really know how someone's going to react. Yeah. What is a piece of advice people get given coming into real estate that you really wish would just die? Like the worst piece of advice that people get given? There's a lot. (laughs) I know. That was a tough question. There is a lot. It's like how long's the podcast? I would really encourage people to stop saying that there's only one way to be successful. And generally, you hear us all the time, and I'm not discrediting the people that are out there that say this sort of thing, but I don't like people saying that the only way to success is working longer hours than your competitor. I just don't believe, yes, that might help some people, but I just don't believe that that's the right way because if you say that, it means that you instantly just take off the table any form of success that, say, a single mum might have who doesn't have the ability to work 100 hours a week or someone that has other responsibilities outside of real estate that they need to attend to and they can't work 80 hours a week. So I really think that this whole notion of being a slave to your work every waking minute of the day, I really would like to see that change because like we talked about earlier, different people get different results from different things. The end destination might be the same, but the road or the pathway to get there is not the same. Not the same. Yeah, absolutely. Leadership is tough. I think most of the leaders that I've done the leadership diaries with would probably agree. And as leaders, we have to constantly work on ourselves because, you know, like we all have strengths and weaknesses too. What part of your leadership skills are you working on right now and why? It's funny in leadership too, like you think that you get through some monumental periods where at the time it doesn't feel great, but then you learn from it and you say, well, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity to be able to learn. Then you think you're through it. And then out of nowhere, it's like you get punched in the face and there's another big challenge you need to work through. You know, a part of what I'm working on at the moment is how can I clearly communicate with my team what's required of us to get where we want to go as a business, but then at the same time, for me, I like the saying that I'm thinking about at the moment that I try and continue to build into the way I'm approaching working with my team is eyes in, hands out with regards to what I'm doing. I don't want to have to communicate the vision and then have hands-on. I want people to be able to grow and I want them to be able to make their own mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. So I'm really working on giving my team the space that they need to move forward and implement the things that we need to implement. And I'm also trying to challenge myself on things that I've historically not thought are needed. Because again, just like we've been talking about, I might not think certain things are necessary, but that doesn't mean that the broader community in our business doesn't need those things. And so challenging myself to recognize the weaknesses that I've got with certain things and then being able to empower others to be better at working on them. So the eyes in, hands out, I think is a great thing for many, many leaders to try and work through because it's so easy to try and micromanage certain situations. And to build leaders, you need to give them the opportunity to make their own mistakes. 
and be there to make them. Yeah, that's such a great quote, actually, eyes in, hands out, because I think it just really sums up, you know, I think there's a tendency in a lot of us to want to show more than, you know, letting people actually have a go at something themselves. And I guess that goes back to what you were saying a bit earlier as well, which is some people like your involvement and like you being hands-on and other people, you know, they're pretty rapid starters that just want to get in and give it a crack. Yeah, and that's what I talked about earlier in terms of leadership's a contact sport. You need to be meeting with your people to understand what they require from you. That's where I'm trying to find the balance with different people do require different levels of support at certain stages. And, you know, I think that approaching things in a way that is dynamic and flexible is a lot better than approaching things in a way where you're, you're just trying to be the same person to all of your people. Yeah. What does leadership at home look like? Well, leadership at home is pretty much like what it is in the work environment, is communication, good communication. For me at home, my life's just changed. My fiancé and I just had our first child. And the pretty, Congratulations. Thank you. It was a pretty up and down period because he came early, came eight weeks early, and Angie had some pretty bad health complications at, at the time that she gave birth. So we had Louis Lake McGlynn's his name, and he was in NICU at Royal Ramwick for about seven weeks. I think it was 50 days that he was in NICU for. So, Gosh. yeah, so it's been a bit of an up and down um, period for us. It's sort of like been the most happiest time of our life, but also the most challenging time of our life. And a lot of that came down to, because there was some times where if we weren't communicating correctly as a couple, I think it would have been really difficult to come through that. So home life for me is based upon communication and learning that to have a good relationship with someone, you need to learn how to find compromise as well. And that kind of links back to what we were just talking about with the work environment too, where I think it's you might not feel something is important, but if others feel that it is, it doesn't matter how you feel because you need to try and see it from their point of view. I know that's just one word, Sam, but I really do think that good leadership is found with good communication. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so this is not part of the Leadership Diaries questions, but it is a question I'm asking people on the podcast at the moment just because we're leading into Christmas and it's a bit of a fun question. But if the big fellow were to come down the chimney at your place or through a window or if you don't have a chimney, that is, and offer you a a large bunch of gifts either for yourself or for the real estate industry, what do you hope he's carrying with him? <laughs> well, the older I get, the less that I have, the better I feel. I know that sounds weird, so I don't know if I need all that much. I'm trying the Marie Kondo effect where you try and declutter your life. I think that makes things a hell of a lot easier. So for me, it's not really all that much that I'm hoping for. I'm just hoping for health and happiness for my family and my team so that would be a big thing but with regards to the industry the gift that I would like to see us take on is the ability to be able to come together as an industry to try and solve some of the biggest challenges that we have and I wish that we'd be able to leave the ego at the door at times to actually be able to solve things that need to be solved for example this is a leadership podcast and 
I often say this everywhere when I'm speaking about these things, is leadership in our industry is our biggest problem and our biggest solution. And I think that a lot of the time, because ego plays such a big role in our industry, it means that the current leaders don't like developing future leaders. Mm. But what happens when the current leaders in the industry get to a point where they're going to be retiring? Who's going to be taking on the good fight of the things we need to progress forward? And I just wish that we as leaders in the industry approach things with a coaching mentality and actually gave more people opportunities to be able to develop those skills. Yeah. So what you're saying is Santa's coming in, probably, you know, like we better say that he's coming in with a bit of an, an empty bag and he's going to be carrying a lot of egos back to be dumped over the, <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean or something. It's going to be a really heavy Santa sack. Saying. Yeah, maybe just giving some people some, maybe some coal so people can get a little bit of humility. There's no watches yeah. or fancy holidays or houses or sports cars coming down the chimney. It's just maybe some opportunity to have some humility and be able to let go of some of that ego, which is no different to what we talked about earlier in terms of stoicism and a lot of the stuff that I try and lean on that helps me become better as a person and as a leader is. Again, that stoic behavior, which is leaving the ego at the door. Yeah, amazing. Well, there's actually so much gold in there, Thomas, that throughout those little questions. So there's going to be very big show notes for this one. Will it make the book, do you think? Will any, any of that stuff make the final cut? It will definitely make the final cut. It's the first time I've actually said in the recording that, you know, my plan is to put a book out there like Tools of Titans, but I'm feeling accountable now with this podcast. So. I think that'd be a raging success, Sam. I think that that's a great idea for you to do. You've just got to find the time. Yeah, absolutely. There's been, you know, on this podcast, I think we're getting close to 400 episodes now. And I think, you know, some advice, particularly some of the advice you've given today is just absolute gold. And so, first of all, I want to thank you for that, for coming on and sharing your knowledge and all of that sort of thing. If there was one thing that you'd like to leave people with or one piece of advice moving into 2023, what would that be? I think it's been a really, really tough time for a lot of people this year. And if there's any piece of advice I could give would be to show vulnerability to someone and share the struggles that you've gone through because when you're able to share that with others, they then feel comfortable to share it with you. And I think that that could be enough to actually make a massive difference in someone's life. So I'd really encourage everyone to especially those that are tuning in that are leaders, to not try and be perfect all the time, actually be authentic, show vulnerability and allow those that are connected to you to be vulnerable back. And I do think that people don't talk enough about the challenges that they go through. And high performance, I think, is linked to having a positive mindset. You don't have a positive mindset unless you have worked through the things that have been plaguing you from you know, mindset perspective. Yeah, that's a good thing to work on over the holidays as well. Totally. It's a great time to reset, to share the ups and downs that you've experienced in the year. And you can do that at home too. Like I really think that like that question, that's a good question that you asked, Sam, like what's leadership at home look like? Because a lot of people in our industry, they don't pay their home life, whichever form that is, enough attention. And, you know, a lot of the time, the impact of high performance starts with what's happening at home. And 
a great thing to do with your loved ones is actually sharing what you've loved about what's been happening at work and where you see yourself going into the future and how your loved ones can play a part in that journey. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the traditional like work at work and home at home and never the twain shall meet. I think, well, it's definitely changed in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, totally. Look, there's a lot of good things happening and I don't mean to always be negative with relation to the things like ego and so forth. I do think the industry has improved a lot. I mean, what you've done and what, you know, Lead Agent has been able to do with sharing people's stories, I think that helps. But I do think there's still a long way to go. And real estate is a really difficult job. It's actually a very challenging industry. And if we're going to do it, we may as well also work on the other things, which is helping people live better lives, proper better lives, not just better financially. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing advice, Thomas McGlynn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.